Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello, and welcome to Basic Folk. This is a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. And I, I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Today we get a very fun track-by-track for Jonathan Brooks' new album, The Sweetwater Sessions, which are new interpretations of previously recorded JB songs from her solo career and from the story, her duo with Jennifer Kimball. Jonathan recorded these songs during a master class in recording at the Sweetwater Studios in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Originally, she was only going to record a handful of songs, but things were turning out so well, the team decided to produce a full album that shows the evolution of these songs since they were recorded. The songs range in age from 1993's Angel in the House with the Story to her Imposter EP from last year. Jonathan is kind enough to go through each song, in some cases talking about its inspiration, how she updated the song, and how the meanings for some of these songs have changed for her over time. JB is one of my favorite people to talk to. She is emotionally generous with her answers and brings so much charisma and joy to any conversation. Every Monday at 2 p.m. Central, Jonathan has been hosting Kitchen COVID concerts on her Facebook page, which are so delightful. Enjoy, Jonathan Brooke. I assure you this will not be the last time she appears on the pod. BF loves JB. Thanks, Jonathan, and we'll get to our track-by-track with Jonathan Brook on Basic Folk. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for talking to me today. I'm thrilled to talk to you. The new album is Sweetwater Sessions, recorded in Fort Wayne, Indiana, at the Sweetwater Studios. The original idea was to record a few songs in a recording masterclass that you were running. The idea was to show how songs evolved over time. Has revisiting these songs and... Uh, You must have revisited the recordings, the previous recordings on previous albums. How did it make you reflect on your perfectionism in the past and where that has a place for you now? Wow, that's a good question. I think that it, it was a really great way to reckon with how I've evolved. And, and I ended up being kind of proud of, you know, when you've been doing this for a really long time, you, you waste less time. You know, you don't have, you don't have time to waste doing 500 takes of a damn song. It's like, if you can, if you don't get it in three takes, then it's not your day and you should fire yourself and do something else for the rest of the day. <laughs> and I, I think that was what was 
um, comforting really about reapproaching it was feeling like, wow, I'm really grown up now and I'm, I'm not wasting time on bullshit. And I, I know if I've got it or not. And I, I have a confidence that I didn't have when I was doing these songs earlier. And I had, on the one hand, I had this great like love in my heart for younger Jonathan stressing and doing 90 vocal takes and, you know, trying to make every single possible thing perfect. Uh, I had, I had this great sort of, you know, so like, like writing a, a letter to my younger self of like, oh, wow, you did, you know, you're doing a good job. You did such a good Aww. job. And like, I'm so proud of you. But like, you can chill now. It doesn't have to be perfect. And the Aww. performance is everything. And like having a vibe in the room with the band is everything. And so don't worry that you were flat on that, that last measure. <laughs> you know, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. You will live. <laughs> Are you ready to go through this record track by track? Oh, sure. I'm still chasing cars Playing in the undertow Barking at the stars Wondering where you are Thinking that I'll never know I still play with fire And I'm hoping that I might get burned Toying with desire Teasing to the wire Thinking that I'll never learn Well, some things I earn Some things I Cause there's an angel on my shoulder But the devil's got the wheel I told the line But the night fall Yeah, cause heaven knows I like the taste of danger most of all Danger most of all Danger most of all Okay, track one, Taste of Danger, um, originally kind of sounded, so it was on The Works, um, which is your album where you went into the Woody Guthrie archives and selected unfinished songs of his to record. So the original did sound like a classic Oregon Roots song, but also a Jonathan Brooks song. And now it sounds like it's ready for like a Shonda Rhimes show, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Let it be. Let it yeah. Be. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Um, but you said that this song was inspired by Woody Guthrie, and I'm interested to know more about about that. I remember, because this is actually a lyric of mine, so it, it's one of two songs on that record that it's not a Woody lyric. It's it's all my composition. And But I remember, like, I was working, like, 9 to 5. I, I approached that record like a 9 to 5 job. So I'd spend all day in my room, like, pouring through the lyrics that I had picked from the archives. And and then I would go to yoga and, like, try to get my body back in order. And, and I remember, like, this song coming to me. I was walking back from the subway station. I was living in New York City. And I, and I remember seeing all these little these little birds. And so that's how the little bird song came about. But these little birds that were just like, reminded me of Woody Guthrie and they were fearless. They kept singing no matter what, like it was February and it was fierce and it was like the 12 below. And, but these little birds were just doing their thing and doing their thing. So that's what started me thinking about like, wow, Woody was this fearless little bird and he and he was kind of ballsy in height. He was kind of 
dangerous mm. and he was fearless and and that's how I got this idea of like wow maybe it's something about danger and hmm. I'm not expressing this very well but I just it, the song just poured out of me and it was kind of like well thanks Woody because I felt like he was on my shoulder that whole time working on his lyrics and the idea of the taste of danger being the thing that you can't get out of your system like maybe, maybe it's the taste of danger that I like most of all well I was thinking about that this song is seemingly about someone who like lives on the edge and seeks out danger like you said but there is something to be said for living a life on the edge of discomfort as in that's like that's where growth and that's where evolution happens where does the protagonist in this song whether it's Woody Guthrie or whether it's you reflecting that in yourself, where does that protagonist sit for you? And also, like, do you think chasing danger, is that positive or negative? <laughs> it can be negative. I mean, if you get into addiction and that kind of danger, then it, then it can be super negative. But it's just like this the second verse where, I mean, you've probably been driving over a bridge, like a really high tippy bridge and thought like, what would happen if I just, just swung the, like, would it be so bad? I mean, it, like, it might be euphoric for that minute when you're like flying off the bridge before you die. Like, is there, you know, I don't know if you, I think that. does. Do other people have those thoughts? Because I have them sometimes. I think too. that they do. I've asked a few people and they've like, oh, yeah, that happens to me too. Like when you're standing, you know, on at, at a, on a height or you're just like, what would ha What if? What if? And you, you're not suicidal. You're not really thinking you're going to throw yourself off the Golden Gate Bridge. But there's this what if feeling. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what I'm talking about in that verse. I do feel like danger and fear for me have been creative spurs for sure. And when I'm mm. terrified is often when I'm most productive and I do things that I never thought I could have. Like um, my, my one woman show was that way. I, I don't think I've ever been more terrified than every single night when I walked out on stage, you know, seven mm. nights a week, it was like, I almost thought I would die of fear. Wow. And yet I, ha I had to, it felt imperative that I do it, that I write it, that we produce it, that we somehow make it happen. And we somehow did. And, and yet I, it, <laughs> I still like get a little bit like short of breath thinking about like, wow, we, that yeah. was ballsy. And I was so scared and everything was okay. Um, so I guess there's. And what were the, for you, like, what was the emotional results of that? There was a deep satisfaction to succeeding and to the response and, and real pride that I had done something so scary and so much larger than I thought I could. Um, I wonder also if that like makes you like fear death less and <laughs> just continue to do scary stuff. <laughs> well... It's funny. It's not funny. It's funny. Um, three things. The one time that I really did think I was dying, and I have been terrified of death since I was six years old. I've, I've, it's been something that 
wakes me up in the middle of the night in a cold, freezing, like, terror. It's like there's a Philip Larkin poem called Obad, which details exactly how I feel. But it's just this, like, clutch of terror, like, like talons in your heart of like, mm. oh, no, this, this is it. This is all we get. There will be nothing. There will be nothing at some point. There will be nothing, nothing, nothing. We'll be, there will be the end of us. And that's not okay. <laughs> There's nothing I can mm. do about it, but that's not okay. Right. But the one time when I really did think I was dying, I was like, I had this weird thing happen at the end of my run of shows at the public theater where I ended up in the hospital because I was so dehydrated that I almost died. <laughs> But anyway, I'm in I'm in my house thinking like, oh my God, this is it. I had collapsed. I, it felt like I had a stroke. I was all alone in the apartment. And I'm like, huh, I think I'm dying. I, I have this like unbearable headache. I can't speak. I can't see straight. The room was spinning. I can't move the right side of my body. I can't even see the phone to dial it. But then I, <laughs> I lay down in the front hall <laughs> And I'm like, huh, I guess I'm okay. Like, I think that I'm not scared for some reason. And I did not expect this to be the case. And wow. I started thinking, like, I guess I've had a pretty good run. And I, I, have, I don't really have any regrets. I've loved really well. I've done some cool shit. So if this is it, I'm going to be okay with it. And that, wow. yeah, I know, like someone who has been terrified. And then not too long after that, I'd been with Pat, my husband's mom, when she passed away. Like we were the two that were with her as she transitioned. And then I was with my mom when she died. And that takes a little bit more of the fear out of it. Hmm. Um, so in a way, like that terror does not come back anymore the way that it used to wow which is yeah which is weird because i am the i was the most terrified person wow wow Track two. <laughs> uh, prodigal daughter. Okay. Prodigal daughter. Church. Religion. This makes religious reference to the biblical story of the prodigal son, which I'd love to hear your relationship to that story. 
well. So I grew up in this very religious family. Uh, my family were Christian scientists. So we went to church and I went to Sunday school and we read the Bible every week and the science and health, which is the textbook of Christian science. And I would find, I, I never, I don't feel like I ever fully became a Christian scientist. I certainly know all the jargon and the shplalangis and I, and I, I could sort of cop the trappings of what it felt like to have faith, but it didn't feel honest or true to me. It felt emotional the way songwriting feels emotional. And so in a way, I could actually talk about this in my play, like songwriting is my church and songs are my sort of emotional uh, sense of faith. Um, but I always loved the Bible stories, and in particular, the prodigal son, because there's this incredibly emotional part where the prodigal son, he's, you know, he's run away, he spent all the money, he partied with the, you know, he got drunk, and he was a druggie, and he, you know, he ended up in a ditch, and he finally came back because he was embarrassed, and he had nothing left, and he had to ask for help, and the dad took him in and, like, forgave him and threw a party and killed the best pig in the barn, and and the other brother was wicked jealous. And the other brother's like, God damn it. You know, like I, you know, I worked my butt off. I didn't waste all your money. I didn't run away. I didn't have prostitutes and drugs. And like, what the hell, dad? And the dad's like, yeah, but I've always loved you. I've, uh, I've always loved you. It makes me cry still. I've always loved you. But like, I thought that, I thought that your brother was lost. I thought I would never see him again. So like, can't, can't we all just get along? Like, <laughs> And it, it always just moved me to tears, this story. So on the one hand, I was feeling like the the feeling of faith and or some tinges of that thing. On the other hand, for me, it was more like, okay, love is love and love is the only thing. It's not about the Bible and or God and or whatever. It's about love being this sort of unconditional thing that is more powerful than anything. And then as Jonathan songwriter, I'm like, wait a minute, where were the girls? Like, were there sisters? Like, <laughs> how come the Bible is so, so male dominated? And let's just write a version of this where it's a girl, it's the daughter, and she's not coming back. And she doesn't want your love. And she is not going to be like the brothers. And she spent all the money and she's okay with that. Like, <laughs> so that was my, I guess it was kind of a, a little bit of a fuck you to religion and a little bit of a, you know, sarcastic take on, on that story. Hmm. That was a long way to explain that. Sorry. No, that was good. <laughs> um, how did re-recording this song, which deals with church baggage, <laughs> with such a powerful new arrangement, like killer new arrangement, how did that help work out, like revisiting any of that church baggage or work any of that out? Uh, I think it just became easier to just sit, you know, to get it in like a take. Like here's here's a live take, bam. You know. I've been cultivating this my whole life. Yeah, I'm ready for this song right now. And like, yeah, fuck you all. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yep. Oh, I am. Cool. 
Yeah, you fucking are. I was, I've been so careful lately because I, I was getting really, really potty mouth. Like the pandemic has brought out the, the Boston potty mouth in me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm just ready to rock this thing. Because I, I love singing. It feels great. It's so visceral to sing. I spent all the money. It's just such a, I love that. <laughs> it's one of my favorite first lines. So I just, I was ready for it. Uh, next song, Scars. It's from your off-Broadway one-woman show, My Mother Has Four Noses, inspired by one of your late mother's poems. Mm-hmm. Is that true? It is true. Which poem and how did you interpret her writing? Like, to you, what do the scars symbolize? Oof. So it was a combination of... Okay, so this is... <laughs> I started writing the song at this songwriting retreat in Malibu with all these fancy pants songwriters from all over the world. We were supposed to be writing songs for Christina Aguilera and Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. And, but it was while my mother was dying, like hospice had already come into the scene, but I had planned this thing for a year. So I went anyway. So I'm there trying to come up with songs for these pop stars. But of course, all I can think about is my mother dying and like, how am I going to deal with this? And but Christina Aguilera in particular had had wrote this sort of, had written a, a, like, here's the kind of songs I'm looking for to her publishing company. So she's like, I, I really, you know, I'm older now and I've been through a lot and I, I want to write, I want to, I want songs that really reflect who I am as like someone who's actually been through some stuff and like is proud of her scars. So I'm like, oh, let's write that song. Let's, <laughs> let's write Scars. So I started working on this song called Scars and it was the beginnings of this song. And I started playing it for the other writers there and they're like, I don't know if this is a Christina song. This sounds like you're writing about your mom. <laughs> so I'm like, well, yeah, but but I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be writing pop songs. But, but like, come on, you guys, like, just let's just try it which i think she i think she would do it great and they're like Jonathan, you need to go cry this out and like come back to us when you want to write about partying on the 405 like okay so um i ended up not finishing that song there and i went back into the writing the the funner songs with them and i finished it when i got home and it was um so part of it was about getting my mother through surgery uh, which was harrowing and awful, and dementia does not mix well with 
anesthesia or surgery or painkillers mm. or rehab. It's just, it's just an impossible, impossible thing. And it was awful. At the same time, I was, I was reading mom her own poems. And one of her poems had this refrain in it, which was, she was writing a poem about younger writers, like a, a poem of, of like, here's how to, how to be a writer. Like you, you younger writers, you, you have to be diligent and you have to, you have to wait for poems because they're, they're like wild animals. You have to leave crumbs so that, that they'll start to trust you and they'll come every day and you have to be very, very, very still. <laughs> and then you have to wait and then you have to start again more than you ever dreamed you could. And I'm like, mom, that's so, that, oh, that's so great. So that's what I stole from her poem, <laughs> poem to a younger writer. I stole that from my refrain because everything I was going through with mom was like, you know, like Groundhog's Day, like every day was starting again. And, and getting her through surgery was just crazy starting again every, mm. every 10 minutes, basically, because she just didn't understand what was happening. And then of course, the idea of the scars was, it was for Christina Aguilera. <laughs> That's great. You also added a wicked guitar solo at the end of this song. So emotionally, what does a rippin' guitar solo like that add to the song? Is it possible to put that into words? Oof. It's a real release. It And it felt actually it was Ben Butler's idea. We were working on this song as a potential song to present to Jessica Simpson, um, who actually fell in love with it also. And I was working on a couple songs for her. Uh, a couple summers ago. And so I'm like, huh, wow, this might be cool to do for Jessica Simpson. Like, let me play it for her. And Jessica's like, I love that song. That's awesome. So like Ben Butler, my guitar player who helped me arrange the songs for Four Noses, we got together and we were like, let's see what, like, let's reapproach this and let's make it faster. And let's add a like totally awesome, like tag that rocks. And so that was where that idea came from. And when I went into the studio to do this at Sweetwater, I'm like, huh, where did that, where did that demo go? Because I loved what we did. So that was where the idea came from. And then we hadn't done a burning guitar solo at that point, but, you know, on the, on the Ben Butler version. But at Sweetwater, I'm like, this needs, this needs some shredding. This definitely needs some shredding. <laughs> you know, I'll do the ooze at the end, but like, Sean, you gotta, you gotta just mash this. You just gotta ball it. <laughs> I feel like you don't have to tell a guitar player twice. <laughs> They're just like, understood. Yeah. Ring. Understood. And like, turn me up. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. That song came from Christina Aguilar and Jessica Simpson. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. America's sweethearts. Total, three totally sweethearts. Wow.
This is one of my, the next one is one of my favorites on the record. <gasps> Me too. Uh, Twilight. And yeah, you say, I love the story the song tells. It's absolutely, sadly, apropos of the COVID-19 moment, saying what you need to say before it's too late. I'd love to hear more on that thought. Mm. The original story is that it was um, a friend of mine's father it was did I already tell you the story it was like a birthday party for a friend's dad who was turning 60 so it was a big you know a big landmark year and but he'd been he'd been diagnosed with cancer just recently so he Mm -hmm. came to the party and no one knew yet but he decided to like (laughs) talk about it at the birthday party and so my friend showed me this video of her dad basically saying, look, I, I just got this news and I'm so thrilled that you guys are all here because I, I need to tell you this thing. And it's that I don't know how much longer I have. And so I need to tell you some stuff now. And I want to tell you how much I love you, how sorry I am for the ways that I have failed you. I'm so sorry about the divorce. I'm sorry about the infidelities. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you, you know, when you were little. But I just need you to know how much I love you. And and I hope you can forgive me. So that was the, you know, so my friend's showing me this video. And I'm like, <laughs> just wow. So I'm like, I gotta just, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. I just gotta go write that song. <laughs> so it was, you know, one of those sort of, uh, the channel was open and that song just uh, kind of poured right out. Mm. So in not knowing the story, but listening to the song, my interpretation of the song, it was that somebody was saying it was a goodbye song from someone who knows that they fucked up, but are owning up to it and being honest, which I, yeah, I figured it out. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> um but after they go, still asking the other person to think well of them. Mm-mm. Can you talk about, from your perspective, like the wisdom and bravery that that takes and, and that appears in the song? Mm. Another friend who had made this pact with her mom 
before she died. The mom had had a long, long bout with cancer and finally uh, succumbed. But they had made this pact of like, okay, these are the things, you know, just in case (laughs) you find out that you are able to sort of watch over me and look at, like, these are the signals that I want you to send me. (laughs) (laughs) So they made this pact. and, And I remember putting that in the song because I felt like, what a sweet idea to like, to plan in advance. Like, I know I'm dying, but just in case, this is going to be how I'll signal you from beyond. Wow. So that's why I put in like, okay, so uh, um, we can we can pick a sign, a secret signal, simple by design, so we'll both know. Maybe a, it'll be a shooting star off Jupiter or, you know, a puppet. I chose dumb things, but like <laughs> puppet in the rain. Um so anyway, that was the reason for those details in the second verse. And but you were asking about the bravery of saying these things. And I I guess, you know what? It's like we should all have that opportunity. And we and we we should make that opportunity. You know, we should have a party before we all die with all of our people and just say this shit because it's so frustrating when someone's dead that you can't say the shit. Mm. And I do, I do think that that's, boy, is that obvious now with all the COVID deaths and the people that can't be together for that passage that are like on iPads and iPhones saying goodbye to their loved ones. It's just excruciating and awful. And all that to say, I guess it's a it's a good example. I mean, you know, the song is a, a an example in that, and my friend's dad is a great example of like, wow, this is how this is how to do it right. Yeah, truly. Look me in the eye when in the circus is the next song um <laughs> let's hear a little bit about what the circus girl is like charlene man she's she's a badass that charlene she is a little bit connected to my mom also because my mom all pretty much through my childhood my mom had this stationery that she would write letters on and it at the top it said damn everything but the circus <laughs> and so that always sort of stayed with me and then of course when I 
was in seventh grade, she went to clown school and became a clown and, and, you know, came home with the full, the full makeup and the polka dotted suit and the wig and everything and the floppy shoes. So there's this whole circus thing between the two of us. And when I was a dancer, I, I was, I, I was in this dance company where I got to play this really visceral kind of tattered circus performer. And that, the physicality and the visceralness of that part has always stayed with me. And so sometimes when I get stuck in songwriting, I will just give myself an assignment of like, well, write another song about Charlene. Like, <laughs> just like, and I think, I think it's going to happen soon again, too. Like, I need to revisit Charlene because I'm a little bit stuck on the Jonathan songs. But anyway, Back in the Circus was the second Charlene song in, in the series. So that the first one was called Damn Everything But the Circus. And that was on my first record with Jennifer, the Grace and Gravity record. Uh, Charlene was the second, uh, Back in the Circus was the second one where she's like, she's definitely world weary. She's been around a little longer. And the first one, she's like 17. She's just, she run away from home because she's joining the circus <laughs> to get away from her mom. Oh uh, God, I need analysis. The second one is, World Weary, third one is called No Net Below, which is on uh, Back in the Circus. So it's Charlene. What was it like to revisit this character, and how do you feel like you've grown into her over the years? Well, they always say, write what you know, right? So <laughs> it's kind of like my alter ego. I am Charlene in so many ways, you know, a little world weary still traveling town to town. Mm. Uh, I'm not quite as philandery as Charlene because she's, you know, especially in the chorus you hear, she's she's getting it on a lot. <laughs> uh, but there's a, I don't know, there, I just, I love drama. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, the last time we had an interview together like right at the end of our time together we like broke through this new topic of being uh an older woman in our society who become right invisible and i was gonna say at the end of our interview that like we should probably wait until you have like a new new record like with new new songs to talk about that fully but i'm also interested in maybe like how charlene might feel about that particular topic of um, women becoming invisible and the pros and, like, you know, basically what a character like that would think about it. Well, what if Charlene was watching the convention last night? I mean, I was so blown away last night. It just was this revelation of, like, check this out, man. Powerful woman after powerful woman after powerful woman, like all shapes, sizes, colors, sources. Mm. And it was awesome because it, it was just the full range of amazing, powerful voices. And, and I was watching it on MSNBC. So you got Joy Reid, you got Rachel Maddow, and you've got Nicole Wallace. Like what three better badass women could mm. you have like from 
such different walks of life, but like such powerful voices and such awesome ways of seeing things and explaining them and like such camaraderie. That's what made me so happy. I was like, like, they fucking fucking love each other. They're loving this. And I love their take. Like dudes are like so 10 years ago. It just felt like (laughs) finally, finally, like this is so much more interesting than watching three dudes talk about shit. Because they're so they're so colorful and they're so inclusive and they're so loving and they and they have such empathy. Just like I think we just have more. Em- we're chicks, like we, <laughs> we fucking get shit and we feel what other people feel. It's just like it's it, it's built into us, but it's so compelling to see it represented so powerfully this week. And so anyway, I was like, that felt amazing, and it it just felt like. I was in love with them all and I was, and they were sexy mm. and old and badass. And I like Elizabeth Warren, I fucking love you. And Kamala, Jesus, unbelievable. And that was super exciting. And it made me sort of feel like, I'm so glad I'm not young. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to be 56 right now because like, Oh, it just feels good to like be in that kind of company, you know? Mm. Man, that's awesome. I would love to talk more about that next, next time. <laughs> but now... Call, call me anytime. We'll have a glass of wine and we'll just oh, that talk about good. it. So now let's talk about sex. Um, Midnight Hallelujah. <laughs> That's the next song. It's about Great segue. Yeah, it's about sex and includes religious imagery. You going to church, feeling suffocated, tired of hypocrisy. Growing up religious, I'm wondering, like, how was the subject of sex approached in your family, and what your feelings were like towards it, and how did it affect you into adulthood? I I remember my mother I don't remember ever being taught about like this is how it works and this is you know what the boy does and this is what the girl does but I do remember my mom <laughs> two things one one saying like 
oh, I've been a terrible, terrible person. Like, and you'll, I'll never, I'll never be able to share it with you, but I've been so bad. And it was almost her, like her dangling the, these tawdry secrets about herself that I would never be privy to. I'm like, oh, okay, well, uh, all right. And then, but then she would be like, on the religious side, like, it's way better to wait until marriage. You know, it's just really, it's just really a good idea to wait until marriage too, because it's about love and it's about procreation. So you don't want to cheapen this thing called sex. So a little bit confusing because there, there was this sort of danger of like, wow, mom's had some, you know, mom's been busy. Like what's, <laughs> what's up with that? Like, when am I going to get the full story? Right, and then like, there was how like, do you know it's better to wait? Cause <laughs> why? <laughs> Cause yeah. Like, are you saying that you didn't? <laughs> and I don't know, mom. And then there, and oh God, there are a couple times when I was terrified that I was pregnant and you know, I was, was never particularly good at the meth, the rhythm method. And I would, I, anyway, long story and way oversharing, but a couple of times I was terrified I was pregnant and I, I went home and we prayed about it. Like, that's what we did in my family. We would mm. pray about shit like that. Like mm-hmm. I had a horrible raging kidney infection, like that almost fucking killed me, but I went home and we prayed about it. I thought I was pregnant. I was convinced I was pregnant. We went home and I prayed about it. You know, I broke my arm when I was a kid and, uh, it was, I was like nine and, uh, I went to my piano lesson anyway, cause I didn't know any better. And then I went home and we prayed about it, you know, like that was just what we did. So you don't necessarily talk so about it. You just, you just pray about it. And, um, most of the time things work out like, okay, we made it, my, a neighbor made me a splint for my arm and it healed fine. You know, so everything's fine with my arm Good. and the kidney infections. Somehow my body won that battle, but it was brutal. And uh, I finally got my period. So I guess God wins. Worked. <laughs> Jeez. The arrangement of this um, new version of Midnight Hallelujah, which is, I think, my sec- this is my second favorite song on the record. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's gentler than a one originally mm-hmm. released, which is only... A few years ago, 2016, mm-hmm. and this might be like too personal of a question, but how have your feelings about sex softened or changed as you've gotten older? Mm. I, well, I think it, my feelings have softened and I, I love that we did this song again because I, I prefer it this way. I do prefer it like with the brushes and just gentler and a little more acoustic sounding. And it's more like a picnic than, you know, a full formal dinner, (laughs) which is kind of how I feel about sex now. You know, there's a, there's a sweetness to um, not needing like the full regalia of like must have sex for hours and, (laughs) and uh have a million things happen for me and or there's just the sweetness to like oh let's just have a quickie (laughs) (laughs) and maybe that's I don't know 
that's my softening towards towards it. Love it. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a thing. It's a like lifelong perspective shifting, I guess, with sex. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and to and it's funny because as you. Remember as a kid, like seeing your parents when they were in their forties and just being so grossed out by the, the idea of them having sex, you know, like, oh, it's so gross. They're so old. Ew. And then like, here I am, I'm 56, <laughs> like a fully sexual being and like actually probably more in my body than I've ever been mm. and more comfortable in my body than I've ever been. And the irony of that is so funny because I'm older than my parents were when I thought they were gross. Right. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Okay, Angel in the House, originally recorded by The Story, your duo with Jennifer Kimball. And you said it was inspired by those antiquated notions of femininity that we all bristle at now. First, can you just, for clarification, just for people who haven't heard the song, can you clarify what type of femininity you're referring to? And also, like, Mm. what has been your relationship to that particular type over time? Mm. Mm. The original book, which was called The Angel in the House, was this Victorian tome by a guy named Coventry Patmore. And he was writing... What a name. Uh, I know, Coventry Patmore. <laughs> and I don't think I ever read it, but I heard about it because Virginia Woolf had written about it. And it was basically this catalog of like what it was to be a perfect woman you know to be long suffering and silent and have your husband's pipe and slippers ready at the door when he came home from work and to have the children you know fed and bathed and quiet and cherubic and then of course have dinner on the table and that was that was the angel in the house and 
Virginia Woolf got a hold of that notion and was like, we have to murder this phantom. This is bullshit. (laughs) This is what we have to fight against with all of our breath and all of our strength because this is killing us. Like this is just slavery and uh, bad word. This is, uh, it's just not right. It's not quality and it's not it's not doing us any good. We're, we're missing out on our careers. We're missing out on things that we were meant to mm. do. Uh, so she wrote about it in that way. And that's how I heard about this notion of the angel in the house. And so m- my song is sort of a combination of my mother and my grandmother in a way. Uh, but it is true that my mother moved the furniture when the shit was hitting the fan with her and my dad. And uh, and that that's the first line of the song. My mother moved the furniture when she no longer moved the man. Mm. Uh, and I think that even, I mean, my mom did work. She was a poet. She was an essayist. Uh, she was a writer. But the bulk of the child rearing fell to her. You know, my dad was a journalist. He was traipsing all over the world covering the troubles in Belfast and the civil rights stuff in the South uh, for the Christian Science Monitor. So you know, he was doing what, what he wanted, but, you know, mom was a talented writer too. Mm. But, you know, look what happened. My grandmother was wicked talented. She was like an incredible pianist. She could play anything, any key. Uh, but she just got squelched and suffocated by my grandpa. So it was me sort of bristling at all of that and then bristling at my own tendencies to defer and uh what's the word that I'm looking for um not defer the word where you like you give up your shit for the other person you oh sacrifice but that's not what you're looking sacrifice oh it'll come to me but basically I was also seeing those tendencies in myself because in in so many ways I was raised to kind of do the same thing I was raised to be selfless. Like, to be selfish in my family was the worst possible thing you could be. Mm. It was just... So we, uh, you know, it was all about thinking of the other person first. And maybe that's just a religious thing, but... Um, I've, I do... There are ways that I'm just like them. Mm. And that I... I have to fight it still. Yeah. You know, not to sacrifice my own path or day for piddly, tawdry, dumb stuff. But I cannot kill the angel in the house, even in my wildest heart. I cannot kill the angel in the house.
Okay, the next song is Glass Half Empty from Ten Cent Wings from 1997. Um, tribute to Kevin Gilbert, who is a musician who died suddenly in 1996. And he had a solo career, and he also played a really big role in Sheryl Crow's Tuesday Night Music Club. I guess they were together, and he introduced her to all those people in the the dudes. And he co-wrote a bunch of the songs on the record. Um, so very like talented, known musicians. Oh, so talented. And you have toured. You toured with him the year before he died, and become friends. And listening to the lyrics, the lyrics are honest. They don't seem to, like, sugarcoat anything. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering, like, why does this song have complicated feelings and what was it like to revisit them? <laughs> oh, you're so good. <laughs> I think... Um... Okay, what's complicated about it is that on the one hand, I admire him so much. He was such a brilliant musician. On the other hand, I was so pissed at him because he was not, he was always angry that it, like he hadn't, he felt like he hadn't gotten his share. Like that, that, you know, he was, he was angry that, um, you know, he felt like maybe Cheryl didn't give those guys their due for for what they brought to her, which I could see, you know, he, he brought her into that Tuesday Night Music Club and basically they ended up sharing all their songs, but she was the voice, you know, she was the, the voice and the body that got over. Mm -hmm. So it should have been a great ride for all of them. Um, I think there was just resentment, especially after they broke up. So there was that. And then there were the, my own complicated feelings about like, oh my God, this is death. This is like someone my age who just died. Oh, and something who, you were terrified yeah. of. Yeah. And I was still terrified of it. And I was on the road and it seemed like, even though I was a grown up, it felt too grown up. You know, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> I don't understand this. And if this is true and this could happen, then anything could happen and I could be next. And what does this mean? And uh, what do I do with this information? I think it, I think it hits everybody. Like if, if a, if a contemporary, you know, dies, it's that first time that it happens, it's really sobering and life-changing and it really does fuck you up. Mm. And I, so I found myself on the one hand, sad, on the other, angry, because I felt like in some ways, you know, he'd kind of brought it on himself, and then, and then terrified. Uh, and then... Oh, that is complicated. So complicated. And then, like, also, all right, let's live now, people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll have another whiskey. <laughs> so, it was very, it was really, I remember just, like, we were in a bar in... Germany. I was on the road in Germany with, was I with Nick and Ingrid? I might've been with Nick who actually had toured with Kevin, who is on this record. Yeah. He the, he's the drummer. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it was Nick or if it was my other band, but I know Ingrid was there and we just got shit faced because we were just in shock and mm. 
you know, we're in Germany, like, what the fuck? What right. just happened? Like, Kevin, what do you mean Kevin's gone? Like, this is not possible. Two, two notes on this song that I really like. I like that you address him, like, by his name, like, Kevin. That's pretty powerful. And the other thing is, I think, in general, your voice sounds incredible on this record and you seem really happy about it but in particular it seems like you are just like pulling out all the stops on this song thank you and it sounds like i like if i tried to do it i would need to go to the hospital <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like so fun to listen to like your voice on that song i do remember like that like there were a lot of kevin gilbert fans among the studio geeks that were at the workshop. Oh, wow. So I do remember this one really mattering to me of like, cause most of them knew this song and this is one of the first ones that we tackled in, you know, during the workshop. And so I remember like really wanting to step it up a notch and we did a lot of, I think we did a few takes of this one cause it just felt good and we were finding the groove and it took us a few more than it, than usual. But um, I do remember like, all right, man, I gotta, this is, I gotta prove myself on this oh one. <laughs> so I think you heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, you remind me, don't look back, don't second guess. Have another go, have another drink, cause it won't be mine. I look down at my head. The next song is a Beatles song, Hide Your Love Away which you put together for a John Lennon tribute. And the arrangement is like pretty different than the original Beatles recording. It's bolder, it's brighter. You've kind of like turned this into an anthem where you're like, hey, you've got to hide your love away. What was the intention behind transforming it for this record? I think it, whenever I do a cover song, I don't want to sound like the original at all. I do want to take it as far afield as I can and make it really my own. So that was the biggest part of it. And then I, I was thinking of what's the what's the band that does like the Red Sox theme? The the it's like a Guthrie lyric, but the but it's a like a Sailing up to Boston or something like, oh, there's some sort of like, ha, duh, 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 is it song the Dropkick that, Murphys? Yeah, the Dropkick Murphys. I was kind of <laughs> thinking of that, that kind of like abandon. And then, so I just had everyone come in and like sing the hay with me to, to make it more, more fun. Um, and then I love like, and then we got this idea, like right, right during the recording session, which is always exciting when something just happens by mistake. I started hearing it like this two against three because I started dancing a jig to what we had already. I started dancing like something in my body was like the other, the three against the two mm. or what, or the two against the three. 
I don't, you hear it in that last chorus where we sort of go into a different groove and I'm like, that's, oh, we got to do that. That's so cool. <laughs> so like, and that'll take it even further away from the Beatles, but it was musically super exciting to just try new things with it. Cool. Yeah. It sounds awesome. next song is full-fledged strangers originally from 1995 and you say the original feels almost too delicate for me these days which reminds me of one of your favorite words precious (laughs) (laughs) um but the word delicate seems like more gentle and forgiving like if you said the original feels almost too precious to me that would have a different meaning a different connotation yeah hmm. um hmm. and this is where i want to hear a little bit more about the past jonathas like <laughs> how you feel about them like do you look back at yourself and you're like oh so delicate or you're like mm, i was pretty precious <laughs> or a combination of both i think uh well especially the early the story stuff like that's when I get like, oh, that is really precious and pretentious. <laughs> I'll use the other P word. You know, as Alain used to say, if I would get overwrought when I was recording, he'd be like, that's got that pretentious, urgent thing. Like, let's stay away from that. <laughs> just be like, oh, and now I do hear it now. <laughs> now that you mention it. Now that you mention it. And also like... I've been doing these concerts every Monday and I, there was one week where I delved into a lot of those story songs and I was like, they kicked my ass because it was a whole different person that sang those songs and that wrote those songs. And I couldn't find her in my voice or in my body. I couldn't find oh. that. I couldn't find that persona in a way. It was weird. It was and kind of interesting to think of it that way, but full fledged strangers is delicate I don't think it's precious in a bad way. There's a there's a um, there's a fragility to it, but I'm not mad at that at all hmm. because I was fragile, and it was this really intense proving ground for like the transition from me and Jennifer. You know, we had been the story, and all these people were mad at us for breaking up and mad at me for continuing on, and so I had all this like guilt and shame and pressure and. 
and yet this like desire and ambition to like let these new songs be what they were going to be and and to continue and find my singular voice so I was terrified and I think you hear all of that in especially in full-fledged strangers Mm. you hear you hear that like the way on is no longer clear the bridge is out and the woods are dark and dear you know that there's that sort of like all right I think I got this (laughs) I think Mm. I think I got this it's it's interesting because you're past that point now and you're just like I got it I had it (laughs) so I know how it ends (laughs) before you (laughs) might have been like "Uh, maybe not (laughs) not so much not so much yeah it's scary those transitions are so hard and and you know again like taste of danger and you know the mom show it's all the scary parts are where you either you know you fail or you don't mm, yeah <laughs> yes you, you, you um you don't know at the time like it could have been a disaster but mm. plum plum worked out it was it turns out to be like some people's favorite records so the way on is no longer clear and my bridge is out the woods are dark and here and I could get lost for trying all my fears in ambush on the way cause they aren't Conclusion. Um, dun, 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 dun. I'll try. You wrote for Disney's sequel to Peter Pan, 2002, Return to Neverland, written in the perspective of Wendy's daughter Jane, just to give people <laughs> a background for the song. 
Um, Disney owns the master to this recording. So what does it mean to you now, since this song is like a big song for you, to be able to have your own version of it? I'm kind of thrilled. And I'm, I'm, I feel dumb that I didn't think of it sooner. It was Mark's idea. And I'm, I'll be forever grateful to him for even thinking of it. Because it, this song didn't really occur to me. Because I've always thought about it as like that song that's over there in the Disney world. But it's so beloved to so many people now. And like moms and like kids. Mm. Like so it's two generations now that know this song. And in a gazillion different languages. So I go to Denmark and there's like little girls singing it in Danish and there's a French version, an Italian version. And it's, it's crazy. So it's like, wow, this is my little song has made its way in ways that I'm just becoming aware of. And people request it every week in the kitchen concert. So um, I'm just really grateful that Mark had the idea and that we, we did it. And, um, yeah, I love my little song now. It's um, it's actually Disney has saved me a couple times. You know, there'll be like a last minute check in in January. You know, after the everything's run out and I'm, <laughs> I'm out of dough, and like suddenly in January I'll get a check from Disney, and it'll be this song's European royalties, and I'll be like, thank God, bless the mouse, wow. Jesus, the, yeah, the mouse keeps giving that mouse. <laughs> God bless him. You mentioned a couple times you've been hosting Kitchen COVID concerts on your Facebook page every Monday. And I'm wondering, like, holistically, how that practice helps you through this pandemic. And how do you see it helping those who tune in? I think it helps me to have a job. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not good if I have too much time on my hands. I don't do well with it. I need a job. I'm like a golden retriever. I need a jo- I need I need you to throw the ball and I will bring it back. And that's just how my brain actually works. So to have something I have to do every Monday and that I really want to do well and be prepared for is uh again, it's another scary thing. <laughs> I think cuz I'm I'm like every week I'm, I'm really nervous about it and I really want it to be good. And I want to, I want to not suck. And I want, you know, like in relearning my entire catalog has kicked my ass <laughs> big time. But there's also this community that has congealed and like solidified and supported me and sustained me in all the ways, you know, like, yes, people are contributing every week and it's keeping me alive financially but there's also this really intense community that is there mm. and that I've come to know uh, kind of viscerally. And it, it's because I try to thank every single person that donates. Uh, I try to thank them because I just feel like I'm so grateful. Like for those people that actually have jobs, I'm just so mm. grateful that they're tuning in every week and that they're so generous and that they realize you know, this is kind of life and death for, for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like our year is gone. We're decimated. Right. My husband manages recording artists too. So his year is gone. So it's not like if you were a banker, we'd be, we'd be fine, you know, mm. but like, we're both in this business right. that got canceled. Yeah. So I feel like that's starting to be realized to, to music fans that it's like, 
the musicians were the first to go and they're the last that are going to come back, like actors and musicians, performers. Yeah. Well, what a note to end on. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, how are we like, <laughs> well, how does this end? Well, I do have one more thing that will be fun. It's called the lightning round. Yay. Where, I love this. Yes. Here we go. All right. Okay. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? Uh, Heart of Gold. Nice. Batman or Superman? Batman. What is your karaoke song? the TV song? show. Oh, the, which, the one where he's like the POW? Yeah, yeah. the POW TV POW. show one. Yeah. Uh, my karaoke song would be probably What If God Is One Of Us. <laughs> the way you said the, that song title is not the way that... Uh, Normally, like a valley girl. Yeah. What if God was one of us? <laughs> that was funny. Besides now, what has been your favorite age? <laughs> um, forty. It's right on my horizon. So good to hear. Oh, it was. That was when I did the the circus show at the at the public theater. Oh, awesome. Yeah, maybe, I was, was. Yeah. Maybe I will do a circus show. I think you should. Yeah, clearly. I'll send you the suede uh, hot pants. Okay. Great. <laughs> Dogs or cats or something else? Dogs. Duh. Duh. What is your coffee order? It would be a quadruple, uh, what do you call it? Not the macchiato, the other one that is between a macchiato and a cappuccino. Uh, cortado. Is that like a, wait, quadruple as in like four shots? Uh-huh. Wow. Because <laughs> okay. I don't want to have to go back for a second. <laughs> what is your favorite junk food? Uh, these uh, peanut butter pretzels that I get and I live on them. Because <laughs> I don't want to take time for lunch because I'm busy. Mm. <laughs> so I just eat half a bag of peanut butter pretzels. What was the first album you bought with your own money? For the Roses, Joni Mitchell. That's probably the best answer we've had. You think? Yes. Really? Yes. Aw. What was your first... Why? What do other people say? Like, um... Sheryl Crow. (laughs) (laughs) No one said Sheryl Crow. I mean, people have said some cool stuff, but like sometimes when I interview people who are like my age or a little bit younger than me, they'll be like... Evanescence, or no one said that, but like Blink 182. Bieber! Yeah. <laughs> Destiny's Child, which, I mean, Destiny's Child is, you can't argue with that. You can't argue you can't with argue. Great, greatness there. But. No. Can't. But Joni Mitchell for The Roses is pretty rad. Um, what was your first concert? Oh my God, in high school, friends of mine knew The Grateful Dead or something, so we went to see The Grateful Dead at the Orpheum in Boston. And I just didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) What was the last book you read? Uh, Well, I haven't finished it yet, but the Mary Trump book. You're in it. I'm in it. I'm in it to... uh, Yeah, I can't even... I'm in it deep. Mm. I'm so pissed. Um, Flying or invisibility? Flying. Two more. Star Trek or Star Wars? Oof, Star Trek. 
And for the win, where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Saint Paul de Vence, south of France. I bet that's beautiful. Oh, it's where I got married. Perfect. Good job. <laughs> you've done the lightning rounds, and we've finished our interview. What do I win? You win my admiration and respect. Oh, that's just as good as anything. That's better than peanut butter pretzels. <laughs> it lasts <laughs> a lot longer. Ah, Congratulations on the new album. Thank you. Basic Folk This Week produced by Laura McCarthy. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. Basic Folk is proud to be on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. You can go to my website, cindyhouse.net. Check out all 88 episodes of this podcast. It's cindyhouse.net or get it wherever you get podcasts. We do this every week. No matter what, except if we don't feel like doing it, which is a possibility. But we usually do. So there's like a 94% chance that there's a new Basic Folk episode every week. So there's lots of episodes. Okay, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, but it's been very fun to have you listening. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Bye.